Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. The Inside the Gamecocks podcast bringing you into the weekend. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Got a lot of topics to cover today. Uh, glad to be back with you here. This kind of once a week format we're doing during uh, sort of a slow time, sort of not a slow time. Obviously, the market dictates what we do uh, here in terms of podcasting and, and things like that. Uh, did want to mention, uh, speaking of the market and business and all that good stuff, if you're not a VIP member of the bigspur.com, and I rarely I pitch the site and say, go join or whatever. But uh, when we have deals, I, I rarely you know, pitch it because most of you are members anyway. And those of you that are not, I, I just really kind of appreciate you listening to the podcast and, and figure you'll make your way there eventually. And maybe, maybe you like the spoken word more than the written and that's fine too. Uh, but uh, uh, if you go today, uh, CBS all access CBS sports is sort of our 24 seven sports parent company, which is the network. The big spur is on right now. And if you look at it, uh, CBS All Access, which is a streaming service, they're switching to Paramount Plus, uh, which is going to be pretty good. You know, I'm 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 kind of an all of the above guy when it comes to streaming. I probably need to, you know, lower my package on on one of those two or, or a couple of them out there because I think I spend more than I did when I had cable. But uh, I like them all. Um, and you know, CBS All Access was great if you like the CBS shows and the products and and things like that and some archive things and you know, so some of the sports and stuff, but uh, Paramount plus is going to be, you know, kind of more like, you know, HBO when it went from HBO go to HBO max, uh, if you're familiar with that. So anyway, you get that included with your membership to the big spur. Right. Um, and if you join, if you join for a year and, and today those yearly memberships are 50% off. So, so you literally for $5 a month right now can, can today only can go get the big spur plus Paramount plus, and it'll switch over March 4th. Uh, that's probably a value of about 20 bucks a month. You're going to end up paying five bucks a month for, uh, so whatever percentage that ends up being, that's, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, I think so. Uh, if you like this podcast and, and, you know, some of it, I can't guarantee that it's always going to be free and not part of some membership package to the Big Spur somewhere. At least some of it uh, will be uh, maybe a daily show or something. I don't know. I mean, I've got a lot of a lot of irons in the fire as far as where we can take this. Um, uh, but if you like the podcast, I'm sure you'll like the Big Spur. If you like to interact, I'm sure you'll like the Big Spur, uh, all that. But that's just a great deal, because even if you don't, you know, you get, let's say you just get on the big spur during football season. Well, you know, if you like the Paramount Plus stuff, I mean, you know, the, then you still get to use that. Uh, if your wife or your significant other, because I know we have some uh, female listeners and things like that, you know, uh, the significant others, they love to kind of, especially before we had all this, this streaming and stuff. Uh, they, uh, it used to be, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, people be like, well, I joined, but my wife won't let me because you know they're they're watching the ten dollars a month or whatever. I don't hear that as much anymore because you know 
once the ladies, you know, everything started going to streaming, it's like, oh, I got to watch, you know, I got to watch Gossip Girl on Netflix or, or HBO Max. So I'm going to go do that. Or, I, you know, uh, I know that, you know, I get a lot of uh, watching the old vampire shows or, or whatnot, you know, oh, you got to do that. And that costs money. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so nowadays I don't hear it as much because, hey, well, you get that, I get the big spur. But now this is kind of a, a family deal you know, and, and, and you can, uh, you can, you can enjoy all of it. So the big spurs, it's a, it's a family deal and it's supported by, I'm reading it now, Apple TV, Samsung, Roku. Uh, I know when HBO max went to HBO, went to HBO max, Roku was behind. We have Roku around here. Um, it'll be a lot different than what's on CBS. So, cause Viacom, CBS brands, CBS, BET, Comedy Central, um, I wonder what that will do with uh, South Park uh, as far as being on HBO Max. MTV, Nickelodeon, the Smithsonian films from Power Paramount Pictures, the SpongeBob movie. So if you have kids and they like SpongeBob, I'm not a big SpongeBob guy. Uh, it'll stream at launch. This is all happening March 4th. Um, there's also a, a, a prequel to Yellowstone, that show. I know a lot of people like that. Uh, other originals include the offer, which goes behind the scenes of the making of the Godfather. I know I'll, I'll be watching that, but anyway, that's Paramount Plus. And today you can get Paramount Plus with the BigSpur.com VIP membership. If you're a monthly member already at the Big Spur, if you're paying by the month and you want to go ahead and upgrade that to a year, I believe you can and still get the deal today. I don't. I, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I believe you can. So anyway, I hope you guys. Um, go and, and join. Cause I think that's a hell of a deal. And I wouldn't, I, I, like I said, I don't get here and, you know, sell, sell, sell every single day uh, with TBS, but I think that's just an outstanding deal. So anyway, uh, the big spur.com, www.thebigspur.com. But anyway, we're, we're going to not talk about that for the rest of the day. I just wanted to kind of go into that right off the bat. Appreciate you listening. Um, Cause it's been eight days since the podcast. So uh, I didn't mean to hit you with the sales pitch. It's just time was of the essence and, Wanted to get that up right away. Okay. So been getting a lot of questions, and Shane Beamer got a question about the offense. Um, and he didn't really go into the X's and O's of it because everybody wants to know what are you going to run? What are you going to run these days? And and I've talked about this before, and and you know, what I've based on what I've been told directly, uh, you know, from people on the inside and what I can gather, it's it's kind of primarily a blend between what Lincoln Riley did and what Joe Brady did. And that sounds great. You know, when you talk about it, you're like, man, why not? <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> Let's just, uh, you know, all right, so this is going to be kind of like what Sean McVay does and what Andy Reid does. Great, super. Let's sign me up, man. Uh, but, but everything's kind of a blend these days. And the people, and I know some of you are hesitant because that was kind of what, we were told about Brian McClendon's offense. And I will t- I will say this, Brian McClendon's offense, as far as a scheme goes, was fine, um, especially the first year. Uh, the problem was is that it got too reliant on uh, – and I say RPOs, and some of my buddies out there say they technically weren't RPOs, but um, the quarterback going to the line, taking the snap, making a decision. Uh, too reliant on that, and when all options got taken away and the right read was being made, well, you know, there was no counter. If if you want to get to the bottom of that offense, there was no counter. And then in 2019, after you lose the quarterback, 
uh, you know, you had a guy that wasn't ready to go do that. I mean, I don't think through any fault of his own. I mean, I think we found out Helensky probably wasn't as ready as we all thought, uh, you know, moving into the Bobo one year Bobo era, but in 2019, it wasn't his fault. And there was just no answer. Um, no counter punch. And I think that's what separates good play callers from bad play callers. I, I'll tell you this. I think as far as just being creative and, uh, you know, running something that, that made a lot of sense, I, I thought McClendon was better than Roper because Kurt Roper got almost married to the, what they call RPOs. You know, I'm not going to debate it because I, you know, I think that th- there is something to be said for people that are out there that say, no, these are really not RPOs, what they were running. But, you know, he got married to the point where it was just like the run game was nothing but a, an inside zone, and you just run it over and over and over again. And that's fine. Steve Spurrier ran the base draw over and over again as far as a run game goes. But, you know what, he's also dialing up steamers and mills and all the ball plays, you know, <laughs> over the top of that, you know. And then later at Carolina, you know, they're running all that over the top of the zone read with a mobile quarterback most of the time. And it was just – it was – kind of difficult to stop to be honest with you um i think if they'd had the athleticism and and the guys on the offensive line that they do now during that era and look they didn't have a bunch of bad offensive linemen i mean brandon shells in the nfl aj can uh rokevious Watkins, tj johnson was in the nfl for a while but there were some really good offensive linemen don't get me wrong but you know you look at this group now they got 17 guys and you know I'd say 14 of them I really like, you know, and you're like, they really have a chance. And, you know, don't, don't let last year fool you um, at times. So, you know, I think if they'd had that, that, that offense may have just been crazy, much better in terms of putting up points and stuff, but they were, you know, kind of a defensive team, running team, whatever. Um, you know, so there's a but Roper, I, I thought just, you know, especially in 2017 got married to the idea that Jake Bentley was going to go call all the plays and, and, and it just – Jay just wasn't ready to go do that, I don't think. And um, I, I think that's kind of what happened. And, and you know, it looked like this just – it was just uncreative. You know, there, there was just – I'll still remember the daggum uh, Clemson game. And, you know, they're sitting there down 20 to nothing and, and still trying to run the ball with, with Tyson Williams. And just – you know, I know they didn't have any receivers, but, man, I just uh, – you know, so so BMAC I thought was better. So the, the point of saying all that is I understand that everybody was like, uh-oh, you know, McClendon, first-time play caller, you know, you looked at it and you're like, well, they're going to blend a little what Bobby Bentley likes to do with some of the stuff that McClendon likes to do. And then Dan Werner's there and he was an RPO guy and, you know, BMAC's going to call it and whatever. And you ended up seeing that that offense went backward and was was inconsistent and it, but but I think that's because of the in-game play call and I don't think that's because of the plan and then I think in 2019 Brian McClendon decided that if he was going down he was going down and it was going to be on him you know and, and I don't I don't know that there were a lot of other ideas that were tossed around uh as everything as things got worse um you know so so I understand everybody now because you know, it's Carolina and everybody looks through the vision of you know, Carolina, uh, you know, and, and what's happened recently, not necessarily what's happened uh, in the past. And you go, well, BMAC was supposed to create this offense too. And so you get adverse to somebody saying, well, they're going to blend this and this and this. And, and I get it, totally get it. But I'll also say that a lot of offenses are blends. 
Uh, that offense at Clemson they're running right now, the, the base is like Chad Morris, but it's a lot different than what Chad Morris runs. Okay. Um, you know, you look at Steve, I mentioned Steve Spurrier, you look at the offense he was running uh, at the end versus the offense they were running at the beginning of his tenure at Carolina. And it's, it's different and it's a blend. And it was, you know, Carolina had a blended offense theoretically during the most successful run in program history. Uh, and then Marcus Satterfield, of course, is not a rookie play caller. He's not a guy that, uh, you know, and, and we'll see what kind of feel he has for the game. And, you know, when he's dialing them up, can he do it? That type of thing. Um, and we'll see about all that, but you know, he, he's not a rookie guy. So, you know, he's probably, you know, got some, some, some ideas, you know, how to counter if people are stopping things. So, 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 so I say all that to say this, I think, you know, and, and Beamer made this point, Shane Beamer made this point that you better have something versatile enough to where, you know, you, you can fit it to your strengths. And, and what he means by that, and I think, you know, that's, that's essentially what Mike Bobo did this past year. Obviously, again, people get adverse because they're like, well, uh, you know, uh, the offense was really bad <laughs> at times. And, you know, despite having a thousand yard rusher and, and, and some people are like, well, well, you know, you just got to do something. And I'll say this to these people. It's not all about coaching all the time. You got to have players and, and there's not a coach in the country. That's not going to try to do what he does, what the players can do best. That That's good coaching. Bad coaches don't do that. Um, you know, uh, the only guy I think that that just runs his system hell or high water <clears throat> is Mike Leach, and, and even Mike Leach, you know, uh, he's going to adjust things to, to to fit his players, just like what he was doing with Kylan Hill before Hill, Hill opted out. Uh, and then you see, you know, with Leach and how things got, you know, they, they went south real quick before kind of getting back when they made a change of quarterback. Um, that was a result of maybe the quarterback and, and the receivers on that team at the time, KJ Costello, uh, being a little bit of fool's gold and, and and not being able to consistently do what you needed to do uh, within that scheme. So you have to do what your players can do, um, you know, or you have to make changes and plug them in and, and, and plug people in to see who can fit the best, like Mike Leach did. But even he, you know, does what he'll he'll tell you. Uh, we got to play to our players' strength. And, um, and and I think that's what modern offenses throughout college football definitely do. I mean, Alabama, you know, from Alabama to Ohio State to Clemson, uh, right down to your teams like, you know, UCF under Scott Frost, um, you know, even Josh Heupel at Missouri, when they would run it. And, and what's meant by all this, too, is this. It, it's not like, oh, well, you know, we got these two backs, so – you know, let's run uh, a power eye under center the whole time and just grind it out. That That's not what's going to happen. You know, th- those are formations uh, and, and things that, that I think will be – it'll look a lot different than it did last year. And I'm not saying they, they'll never have an eye formation because, I, quite frankly, I think sometimes when you go inside the 20, that's pretty useful to have because <laughs> it really screws with the defense. I don't think you can run it over and over again and expect to have explosive plays like you need. But um, so I, I think this, I think South Carolina, uh, you know, when you talk about Riley and, 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 and blending that with, with Brady, I, I think what you're talking about is, you know, skilled use of, of who you have. And Marcus Satterfield even said this matchups, you find matchups. 
Uh, and Beamer mentioned, you know, last year, Oklahoma, you know, the whole season, they were in double tight ends a lot of the time because that's who they had. They had those H-backs and, and tight ends who were good players and some of their best receivers. That may end up being what Carolina's got this year. Now it's going to look different because you're going to sit there and think double tight ends, everybody's under center, you know, rock ball offense, rock throwing contest, but that's, that's not how these modern systems work. Um, you know, if you remember too, Joe Brady, if you're going to talk about Joe Brady, you know, think about what he did for Thaddeus Moss's career, Randy's son. How, you know, and, and Thaddeus Moss went to a school at NC State that was pretty good at using versatile players. Um, if you remember what they did with Eli Drinkwitz and, uh, you know, the, the tight end running back guy, Samuel Samuels, I think was his Jalen Samuels, uh, when he was there and, and all that, what a weapon that guy was. Uh, and so he went to a school at NC State that knew how to do it. But think about what happened when he went to LSU and he was their tight end uh, and, and how, you know, Brady was able to and, – and this is play calling and, and scheming and stuff, so you don't know – you know, you don't know if who's going to have a knack for it like Joe Brady did. But, you know, matchup issues in the passing game. And, and I think that's, that's important because, you know, Carolina's got some guys that I think can be matchup issues. Uh, hopefully EJ Jenkins uh, adjusts to the speed of the game at this level. Cause physically that guy, you know, could be a matchup issue. I think, you know, or Trey Smith in certain situations, uh, if, if, if he will buy into being used correctly as a matchup deal, Jaheim Bell, just like those H backs at, at Oklahoma were, I think some matchup issue of Marion Brown in the slot, obviously speed to burn. You know, if Xavier Leggett can make a jump, Rico Powers can make a jump. Those guys are fast enough. Uh, so the passing game, and then of course you got to have a quarterback and get, get it to them. Uh, so the passing game, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. But uh, I agree with Beamer from the standpoint of of yeah, you know, you, you got to have it to fit your personnel. And here's what South Carolina's got coming back. And Beamer mentioned this: you got two really good running backs. Um, you got a dual threat quarterback right now, and we'll see if he, he wins the job. Uh, and you've got a bunch of offensive linemen, you know, five five guys that have started a game coming back uh, and 17 scholarship linemen in your program, which is, you know, a tremendous number. Eric Wolford very quietly did a great job. I'm going to say this, did a great job recruiting. Uh, I know the offensive line wasn't always good, uh, and, and I actually do think the 2018 line was one of the best Carolinas had. I think people have – unrealistic expectations when it comes to the offensive line um, because of the league Carolina's in. You're going to get beat. You're going to lose on a fourth and one sometimes. That's just the bottom line. Uh, but you got those guys in. So, you know, and, and you think about Oklahoma and, and the Oklahoma uh, influence on the run game. Oklahoma ran the ball a bunch. Think about it, a bunch. Think about when they had Jalen Hurts. They had a couple backs. and You know, they were still a wide-open offense. They mixed tempos and all that. But they ran the ball, and it was pretty effective. So, you know, that's kind of what the offense is going to look like, you know, and if, for those of you, just from a scheme standpoint. Now, is it going to work? No. Chances are – I mean, sorry. Is it going to work? No. Is it going to work all the time? No. I didn't mean to say, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> that would be bad. Um, it's not going to work all the time because you, you run into some great defenses. You run into some, some days you're just overmatched. You know, some days you just you just don't have it turn it over, turn the ball over, whatever. Um, and that's fine. I mean, because that that's – I'm going to tell you, folks, that's going to happen this year. I mean, 
you're going to have some games where Carolina's just not going to, you know, they're not going to be <laughs> going up and down the field. I mean, it is the SEC. And I do think in 2020, you're going to see defenses come back to a certain extent. You're not, in 2021, I'm sorry. Uh, you're not going to see, you know, th- this league become the Big 12 all of a sudden. But, you know, so so we'll see. You know, it's not going to work every day, but no offense is. Uh, you know, until you get to where you're, you know, you've got all Americans and, and guys that, you know, can go make plays all the time. And maybe they do. I mean, you don't know. Uh, but there's days you're going to struggle on offense in this league. That's the bottom line. It's just too hard. Uh, it's too hard to go out and and, and be consistent. I, I, what I'm telling you on this is here's the plan. Okay, so will the plan work? We'll see. But, uh, you know, that's the plan. And, and it just – it sounds really good, you know, in my opinion. I, I think, you know, Marcus Satterfield, we, we, we have to see what he does uh, in-game calling plays, uh, all that good stuff. I, I think spring game-wise, you're going to like what you see in terms of the formations and, you know, the basic things they're trying to do. Uh, I think Carolina is going to be a running team this year, and, and I, I think that's probably pretty good. But I do think that the passing game has a chance to move forward, and it needs to. Uh, obviously, you just can't run the ball all the time these days. Uh, you know, you can run it and be good at it, and, and be better at running than passing, I think, and be effective, especially when you – if you have Doty in there and it's quarterback run game and, and all that good stuff, and a lot of that stuff's designed, and, and that gets really tricky. <laughs> Believe me, you know. And, and look, it's, it's going to be different this year. The, the, everybody's, oh, Doty, Doty needs to learn how to pass. Luke Doty performed no differently than Connor Shaw did as a true freshman. Uh, Connor Shaw – uh, had a really, you know, came in in a possible situation against Auburn, uh, you know, and, and performed admirably. I think Doty, same way, coming off the bench against Missouri. I, I think that there's a reason Doty wasn't starting and Colin Hill was for most of the year because Colin Hill knew the offense better. And, and that showed, you know, some of, of Doty's passing game struggles were not because he doesn't have an arm. I'm not saying he has a howitzer, but it's because, you know, he, he, he's probably not that familiar. You know, quarterbacks have to know where they're going with the ball. And it's going to help him, uh, you know, being in this offense. And, and this offense is probably going to have, I don't know for sure, probably going to have, if you talk about Lincoln Riley and all that, some air raid principles. And, and the and Doty, I think, from the, the standpoint of, of an air raid type of offense, uh, is probably pretty good arm wise with that. I don't think you got to be KJ. You know, if you think about Mississippi State this year, Will Bailey came off the bench, or Will, uh, his name's Will. I, I, I shoot the kid that went, I think it's Will Bailey, true freshman. Uh, anyway, Will Bailey, whoever, Mississippi, I'm Googling it now. My mic just fell down. This is just a great front, AJC. Uh, I, I think, uh, if you look at what happened uh, this year, you had KJ Costello who has a howitzer for an arm, and uh, you know he struggled. He, he couldn't he, after that first game where everybody was like, "Wow, he struggled." And Mississippi State could not move the ball until they put in, um, you know, the, the other guy, Will Rogers, not Bailey, Will Rogers. 
And then Rodgers comes in as a true, true freshman. He's 6'1". You know, probably not a guy at a camp you're going to go, oh, he's better than K.J. Costello and evaluate him that way. And all of a sudden they went started going up and down the field again because he knew where he was going with the ball and was that kind of guy in terms of release and stuff like that. Um, and so when you talk about maybe there being some air raid principles within the offense, Luke Doty, I think, fits the bill. Uh, and then you add the running element. Then you add you got two good backs. You should have a good offensive line. Uh, I think the H-back position, the tight end position, you got three guys. You know, Nick Muse, um, you know, and, and again, look back at Oklahoma or look at LSU or whoever you want to. Uh, LSU, how they use Thaddeus Moss or Oklahoma, how they use Mark Andrews. Uh, I'm not saying that Nick Muse is is that athletic and fast because I don't think, you know, Andrews was a freak. I remember seeing him when I was doing national recruiting. I went out to Arizona and saw that kid and I was like, he's basically just a gigantic wide receiver and he's really good. Um, and then Moss, you know, maybe, maybe he's, he's Moss wasn't, Moss, Moss wasn't his dad. I'll tell you that coming out, but you know, you use Nick Muse in that way. Then Jaheim Bell is a guy, certainly Oklahoma wanted him as an H back badly when he was coming out. And I think Kevion Mullins as fast as he is. Uh, and it's just a shame he got hurt last year is another guy that can make some things happen. So you got that. Uh, and then receiver is a question mark. Uh, you know, there's no, no way to spin it. Uh, I don't want any of you, if the receivers are bad again this year, to get mad at Justin Stepp because there's no sense in it. Justin Stepp's a great receivers coach, and and even if they, even if they struggle a little bit there again this year, rest assured it's going to get fixed. But you got, you know, there's 18 guys, 13 on scholarship. They're going to start there in the spring. Uh, we'll see what he can get out of this group because, you know, I, and I'm not going to throw Joe Cox or anybody else under the bus that was there last year, but I, I think this group in general, because you have so many guys that are either moving from other positions or, or they're raw, you know, in terms of the ins and outs, you need a guy that can develop. And, and Joe Cox did not have a track record of development coming in this year. Um, so, so there's nothing against him or this past year. It's nothing against him at all. Uh, and I know they tried really hard, but, you know, I'd rather take my chances with a Justin Stepp or, you know, a guy like Steve Spurrier Jr. for, you know, that, I know that name really gets people fired up. Uh, but a guy that can go out that has a track record of, you know, taking guys and developing them at that position, because there, there is a certain amount of development that has to happen at that spot. I mean, it's easy to play receiver in high school when, you know, you're just like faster and bigger than everybody or whatever. And, and, and you know, you got a guy coming from D2 like EJ Jenkins. Uh, you got a Marion Brown who, who's coming into a new system. You're putting in a new system. Uh, everybody from DeCarrie and Joyner to Xavier Leggett uh, to Rico Powers, uh, all those guys, you know, haven't exactly always played that spot on the football field at a high level. Um, and so that's, that's going to be important. So that, that's a big question mark. But I think there are pieces in place to have a competent offense this year. Uh, I really do. I think – Obviously, quarterback play is going to be huge, as it is every single year. They got to stay healthy. Harris and Lloyd have to stay healthy. I know uh, people like Amos uh, a lot. I do, too. Uh, you've also got Caleb McDowell coming in, who I, I can see playing some some kind of role this year, whether it's special teams or offense. Um, so, you, I think they got to stay healthy back there. You know, you start talking about losing Lloyd or losing Harris, you know, that, that's, a, that's a punch in the face to your offense. Uh, the offensive line obviously has to stay healthy, but they do have depth there. 
as well. Um, so that's the offense. I want to give an offensive talk. Uh, one of my guys on the big spur, shout out to him. Uh, I had this on the list, but today he asked me straight up. He's like, any chance I got a long drive, any chance we get a podcast to talk about the offense today. And so I, I, I was glad to be able to do that. It's opening day in baseball. Um, I'll just say this real quick, South Carolina, from what I'm heard, I've been told, uh, expectations are high. Uh, the Gamecocks return a lot of talent. This is probably the most talented team they've had in a while. We know that talent doesn't always win baseball games. It's a funny sport. Uh, the Gamecocks have some guys that can literally really good pitchers, uh, and guys that can hit the ball. Uh, they opened with Dayton today. Uh, I was looking through this and, and, you know, this is just my sort of, I don't know, it's 25,000 feet view of, of baseball because, I, like I said, I'll defer to John Whittle. And we'll get John Whittle on the podcast too because there's nobody better at covering Carolina baseball. But but you look at it, you know, you got after the Dayton series, and Whittle had a good stat today, Carolina's 80-35-1 all-time against the Atlantic 10. <laughs> um so, so you got Winthrop and Clemson the, the next five games. Winthrop's pretty good. Uh, you play one of those in Rock Hill. Then Mercer, uh, I don't know how good Mercer's going to be, but, you know, they're a southern mid-major, so sometimes those teams will sneak up. And then you go out to Citadel. Then they're going to – listen to this. Listen to this. Is there another team in America that, that will do this? At Texas for three games. Uh, and that's not on the schedule yet because they got to sign the contract. We're at Texas, at Van, and then they play Davidson, then at Vanderbilt, and then at home for Florida. I mean, you go all the way to all, and then you go at Georgia for three. I mean, that's uh, and then North Carolina. I mean, there's really none where you look and go, wow, you know, I mean, Missouri comes in, you know, and then you turn around and go to LSU and then play Arkansas. I mean, it's. It is a brutal schedule, but the SEC is always brutal. And Carolina, you know, Carolina's got a team that can can compete. Uh, you know, you just wonder if everybody else has kind of got guys back too, just like that. Big year for Mark Kingston, I think, uh, based on, you know, 12 and four start last year before they called it. That was before SEC play, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, eight and 22 in the SEC the year before, though. And they lost the Clemson series last year. So, you know, even though that 12 and four record looked pretty good at the time, it, it was, you know, things were not awesome. Speaking of not awesome, the Frank Martin situation, uh, the, the board of trustees has a meeting today and they're supposed to talk in executive session, which means nobody can hear it about an ath- a legal advice for an athletics contract. I don't think that, in my opinion, I, I, I don't think I, – I just – my gut says it's nothing about Frank Martin because I've started thinking this could be anything. This could be like – this could be a football contract. This could be, a, you know, something. I mean, it's just, you know, because there's been so much transition with the football program. It could be that, you know, with, with – a. it could be about Will Friend. I mean, for all we know. Um, but – you know, Whittle put that out the other day and kind of didn't shoot it down that it may be about Frank. So, so who knows? Who knows? But uh, uh, I, I'll just say I, I continue to not have a strong opinion either way on the situation. I I, I kind of look at uh, – I can see both sides. I honestly can. Those that won't change, I can see that. 
because the final four was great, but there hasn't been, you know, capitalization on it like there maybe should have been. And then uh, I, I see the people that say, well, he took the final four. You can't really hold this year against him because of COVID. Because, look, you, you can say – you can do the comparisons. And, and I know I'm not getting political about the COVID situation because, you know, like a lot of things, I'm right in the middle on it. Um, I do think there's been some overblowing of it, but I also think that it's real. It's a real deal. It's not fake. Um, and, and I think that what happened to South Carolina basketball this year was real. Uh, and I think that when you are a coach like Martin that's so structured with your defense, okay, uh, I now know that they play pretty fast on offense and go up and down the court. And I think it's fine. I think it's a fine offense to – to do even though they go cold sometimes or, or whatever but so much of martin ball is about playing that pressure defense and playing that defense and that takes discipline and it also takes reps it's like football and to miss that much practice time and to, to not have your legs and, and all that good stuff that's going to affect specifically the way they play i mean like it or not i know you're mad and i know you're like well everybody had to deal with covid and you're absolutely right uh, and I, like I said, I see both sides of it. Uh, but if you want to know why I see the the Martin side and the COVID side, you know, that's why. I mean, that's why. Uh, and, and you have a group, too, in fairness, to flip it back around, that's never really bought in and, and should have. Because they're all long, talented guys. They got length, they got athleticism. You know, and when they decide to play defense, they're pretty, I think, back to the first half of the LSU game. When they decide to play defense, they're good. But they've never really – but this group hadn't really ever bought in on the pressure defense and, and and creating turnovers and getting steals, you know, like the great team back in 2017 did. And really, quite frankly, the team after it with Booker and those guys, they, they play great defense. They just couldn't shoot and – uh, anyway, it's gotten progressively worse. So, so when you have a group that's not buying in to begin with, you need that practice to kind of drill it, I think. Um, so, anyway, that, that's my take on Frank Martin, and, and we'll see what happens. Gamecock's got a, another defensive back commit, Carlin's Platel from a, Assumption. A scholarship guy, 6'2", 197, just looking at him on film. I think, I think this guy could be an answer. He's only got one year to play. He's got two years to play one, so he's got one year of eligibility left. Uh, just watched him on film. Very sure tackler, big guy. Uh, I think a nickel, the nickel position in this defense, you know, the spur, if you will. Uh, the, this guy kind of has that feel when I look to him. I know he's played corner most of the time. Not sure he's a corner. I mean, and then it's kind of, again, it kind of depends on the scheme. Um, but I, I think he's a pretty good player, uh, you know, and, and I think if you look, I, Defensive back's probably the one position during the Beamer era so far uh, that signed the most guys, you know, I would think. Uh, yeah, you go back because they kept Dial uh, and they got Norris and then you got Platel and then you got Spalding uh, in, in the – in the so that's four. Oh, and then uh, uh, Ladarian Craig. Uh, all these guys are taller guys, which everybody wants these days. But – and we'll see – sort of what happens on the field because some guys have track times and you can kind of confirm it. Some guys don't, some guys just look fast on film, but you know, you look at it and, and, and I, and I think what will get you beat quicker than anything in college football these days 
is when you have six foot two corners that can't run <laughs> uh, and they're slow. Uh, I'll take five ten guy that can run and cover over the six two guy. And I know the five ten guy or five nine guy is going to have problems with the six four receiver, but the six two guy is going to get run by by everybody because he's not athletic enough to play the position. Um, he's a safety, you know, obviously. So I, you know, I like the fact that so far when watching, looking at these guys, they can run, you know, they're, they're not slow. Uh, and I like that. I like that about these guys, but Carlin Splatel, plenty of coverage of his commitment on the big spur. Um, also shout out to Mike Yuba from right there in Columbia who had a, who went to assumption where Platel's from and played ball there and uh, had a great interview with him uh, when he committed, got the exclusive there uh, as an assumption guy. And uh, I think we all know where Assumption is now. It's in Massachusetts. I, I didn't know before, to be honest. And I, I, and I, I usually know where places are. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I'll say this too. Torrey and Gray, you know, everybody's worried about the defensive backfield next year. And I would be too, and I am. I mean, quite frankly, next to receiver, I think there's mo- more question marks back there than anywhere. Because um, a lot of new faces, a lot of guys that haven't lived up their potential, that kind of thing. But I'll say this, Torrey and Gray – has had situations that on paper look worse than this, and he's fielded competent secondaries that are that actually end up with a few NFL guys. Uh, uh, believe me, I watched his career at Virginia Tech from 2006 to 2015 very closely, very closely. And and you know who kind of got it going up there in the secondary was was Lorenzo Ward, Whammy, Whammy was there. Whammy left Torrey and replaced him, uh, and, and boy, those guys would just go. You know, you'd get a guy that committed to him late out of the tidewater, and next thing you know, he's in the NFL. And and so I, I have a – you know, I, I trust coaches to make good evaluations uh, in general, but I have a deeper trust with Torian Gray than, than any other coach. Uh, you know, most any other coach has coached to South Carolina, to be honest, just because of, of his track record. Of course, sometimes guys come to South Carolina and they have a track record and so they get here and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. But uh, I, I, you know, they've been doing a lot of work in the secondary. Even with 2022, they've started out uh, with like gangbusters. And, and I think, you know, obviously Jamie Robinson, I thought a lot of him as an individual player. And same with John Dixon. And those guys could have probably started at Carolina this year. I think Robinson may start at Florida State. Uh, he's kind of a baller, you know. But, but the bottom line with those guys, too, is – that was probably the worst secondary of South Carolina, you know, when you take the entire season. Uh, and, you know, you got to include injuries and opt-outs as well. But even before that, you know, that, that that bunch wasn't, you know, I mean, they did a good job in the Auburn game. I mean, but there was there – was, it was Bus City sometimes too. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not saying Carolina's upgraded. It's, it's a big question mark. Um, but I do like the fact that, you know, the, the guys they brought in are not only bigger guys, but they can run. Because, like I said, uh, I think these days uh, it's very in vogue to get the taller DB. But if you sacrifice speed, you're going to get beat. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, so, anyway, I, I like those guys. All right. Mailbag time. And let's remind everybody, we've got a few we got a few mailbag questions. Um I'll remind everyone that uh, there's two ways to get the mailbag inside the game at gmail.com or tweet to at the big spur pod. 
And um, we've got uh, one in from the Big Spur Pod from Bullheaded. That's a, that needs to be my name, I think, Bullheaded. He <laughs> says, at the Big Spur Pod, and thank you for following this, that Twitter account too, by the way. Uh, with the NCAA's recent decision to extend the dead period through May 31st, how much will it hurt Beamer and his staff? I feel like it's a kick in the gut considering Carolina needs the in-person sell to dispel dumb, dispel dumb myths about the program. Big fan of the pod. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think this hurt Will Muschamp, to be honest, because Muschamp, say what you want. They they recruited guys they had no business recruiting because they were good salespeople that, that when they got them on campus, they were pretty good at convincing guys, building relationships. Um Whereas, you know, you put Carolina up against Tennessee last year in the offseason. Uh, Tennessee's sitting there on Zoom with T. Martin and Jay Graham and Jeremy Pruitt, who are three of the best recruiters in the country. Uh, and I don't want to hear any McDonald's jokes. I, I know what was I know what the allegations were up there, but but they, they couldn't put any McDonald's bags out while they were zooming, right? Maybe, maybe a word got around. I don't know. But but you know, Tennessee can go 20 points looking in the trophy case, and you can't counter that. You know, with your salary, you're like, yeah, well, we were four and eight, so, you know. And you can't counter that over Zoom. And you can't feel the energy of a new staff over Zoom either. And I think, look, Jessica Jackson, uh, I'll say this in a great article about the women who are part of the staff in the program that, you know, Kim Fields has been somebody that for a long time uh, has been a big part of Carolina football. And it's great to see, you know, Josh go out there and – uh and write a good article on them. Congratulations to Josh on that. It was a really good article. And, um, you know, Jessica Jackson did a great job with the, with the tour of the facility. I really wish, you know, I don't know why they didn't do that under Muschamp. Maybe it was one of these secret things or whatever, but um, so the bottom line is, you know, that's good. And, and Carolina's doing the best they can with social media and, and keeping in touch with prospects and building relationships but it's nothing till you get them on campus. So is it a kick in the gut to a certain extent? Yes. Now I will say, I, I do feel like as long as they have visits over the summer and some camps, which I'm hopeful they will, uh, I think all this weather across the country is going to be used as a giant excuse, or maybe it's legit as a giant excuse to, Oh, well, we can't get the vaccine out to people. Let's all stay in our houses for another few months. And, all that, you know, I have a bad feeling that's coming. Um, although I, I hope it's not. I hope not. I hope not. Um, but at, as long as they can get back this summer, they'll be fine. If it gets into the season, it's going to be an issue behind the eight ball. And, and then I think at that point, you're kind of looking for local guys that, that are familiar with the program that will commit and that want the dream to come to Carolina. And then, unfortunately, you may have to hit the portal again. So I, I just – that's my opinion on the subject. And, and I, I do think Carolina can sign uh, what has been an average class for them in the top 25. I, I think South Carolina absolutely can do that uh, this cycle, 2022. Uh, but I think those visits are key. I mean, you look at a guy like Sam McCall, five-star player out of Lakeland, Florida. All three of those Lake Gibson kids, great relationship with Torian Gray. That's his hometown. If anybody can go in there and – and win that battle, it's him for maybe all three of them, no chance if they can't visit. Because a lot of kids don't even realize South Carolina has an 80,000-seat stadium. Um, and you can look at this facility all you want and think, yeah, it's great. But, 
you know, until you see it and until you feel it too. That's another thing. You got to, you got to feel things sometimes, you know, and, and I think when you're making a decision and again, all recruiting decisions are based on comfort level, which are facilitated by relationships and everybody, everybody gets mad. What about the relationships? This guy went to Alabama. Uh-uh, I never said relationships drive it. They do drive it. Those are not the deciding factors though. Yeah, that, that's not the decide the, the deciding factor in rec- all recruiting decisions is comfort level. And so, yeah, if you choose Alabama over South Carolina, you're more comfortable with that program. You may not have as good a relationship with Nick Saban as you do Shane Beamer, but you're more comfortable going to that program because of what they offer, their success, the NFL, the winning, the tradition, all that. And that's fine. And kids base comfort level on different things. Uh, you know, you can apply that to every recruiting decision. It's it's tested. Even the guys that, you know, allegedly get money to go places, well, that's the, they're more comfortable going there because they get more money. <laughs> Comfort level. Boom. So, yes, it's a kick in the gut in terms of establishing comfort level bullheaded. I, I do think, though, if they can if they can just make it – if they can get back after it during the summer, that's going to be huge. That's going to be huge for, for Beamer and staff. All right, go to the inbox, uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, by the way, if you guys are listening, and I'm going to probably have this out midday Friday – uh, once you get done with me, flip it on over to JB and Goldwater, download, download their app. Uh, there are lots of baseball coverage today, lots of interviews. It's opening day and all that good stuff. Um, JC, thanks as always for your hard work. This comes in from Dr. Robert. Appreciate your honest and informed taste. Could you give your opinion on which position groups you feel should be improved compared to last year? Which ones may take a step back? Keep up the good work. As far as the step back goes, I mean, you hope this – all right, so it's hard because with the secondary, it's like, gosh, they lost a lot of good players or individually good players. You lost McQuamu, who somebody will probably draft. J.C. Horn will be a first-rounder. Uh, Jamie Robinson, who I mentioned earlier, a promising John Dixon. Uh, you know, he's, you look, you're like, who's going to play? But as a unit, can it get any worse? I don't know. So I would, I would say that, that as far as the unknowns go – you're kind of looking at secondary, um, probably linebacker. Um, but, you know, let, let's be honest. I mean, the linebacker saying if they can't fill Ernest Jones' spot, and yeah, I have a feeling they may. Um, but we'll see what happens with that spot, too. That secondary linebacker are, are an issue, but how good really was the linebacker in secondary last year? I mean, as a unit, um, you know, I, I think that – Every other position, signs are pointing towards at least minimal improvement, not not totally, but minimal improvement. And you hope quarterback ends up being pretty good. Um, obviously, you know, there's going to be a battle there. I think that's going to make both those guys a lot better. Uh, and so you're hoping that quarterback doesn't become an issue. Uh, I think everything else is pointing toward uh, at least minimal improvement. I, and, again, I – I'm saying all this in the scope of compared to last year uh, and insulating it in terms of South Carolina football. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sitting here predicting it's going to be X in the SEC or anything like that. I really would have to dig in and I'll do that over the summer. I'll dig into whoever everybody else has coming back out of the schedule lineup and all of that. But I, I do believe that, you know, signs are pointing towards 
improvement uh, when you look at all the positions. Uh, may, and if you said one that may take a step back, it's just because, uh, you know, I, I don't know. how The secondary has to, to blend. Uh, and like I said, I trust Torian Gray. He's got a, a, a big job ahead of him, you know, because first they have to figure out where everybody's going to play. Um, but, but like I said, can it get any worse? I mean, at the end of last year, they couldn't stop. They couldn't stop Kentucky from throwing it. And Kentucky's not a throwing team. And they can stop anybody. So that's the thing there. Uh, Mark, with the final mailbag question of the day, any chance he uh, – talking about Carlin Spatel – any chance he gets a look at safety or is he strictly a corner? Seems to read the quarterback very well. I think, I, you know, just looking at him on film, and like I said, Torian Gray and those guys, they, they've forgotten more about evaluating secondary than I'll ever know. But I think he, I think he's a good nickel, uh, nickel in the box guy. I, I think he's got good instincts. He's a good tackler. Watching him in pass coverage, I don't know that he's a corner. Uh, but maybe he is, you know, who knows? I mean, <laughs> he may be a really good corner. I mean, I, I'm just going off what I watched on film and breaking it down. So, uh, yes, I, and I think some of these guys, you know, people, one of the big, besides the, the besides looking and, and all right, so, so in recruiting rankings, you have labels, right, with guys position-wise. And I think outside of the pro-style dual-threat quarterback, which is antiquated, like right now, these days, most quarterbacks are dual threats that are really good, that are five stars. Uh, and the pro, even in the pros, you know, guys that are that can move around a little bit are, are pretty good. You know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, obvious, obviously Tom Brady is not in that category. But, you know, you talk about your Patrick Mahomes, even Aaron Rodgers is mobile in the pocket. Uh, Russell Wilson, obviously. I mean, you know, there's really not, whereas 15 years ago, that was a clear, you know, your guys like Terrell Pryor and Vince Young went one way, uh, and then your guys like a, like a Colt McCoy uh, or Steven Garcia, even though he can run a little bit, went another. Uh, or John Br- – we won't even use Steven. We use John Brantley. Steven may have been a dual-threat quarterback. Um, John Brantley, you know, that's a guy that was a, a pro-style guy. Kyle Parker, pro-style guy. Uh Taj Boyd, pro-style guy that can run a little bit. So, um, you know, and then obviously Watson and, and then, you know, and, and the game kind of, you know, evolved. And, and so I, I think with that, you just need to go quarterback. And then if a guy can't throw, he's, he's in the athlete category because he's probably going to get moved. You have to throw first and foremost, and then if you can run, great, you know, and, and not be a state, you know, throw and then not be a statue in the pocket. There are really no dual threat pro style quarterbacks. The line is not like that. And so I get a lot of, why are they going after all these pro style quarterbacks? They need a dual threat. Then you turn on the tape and the guy's quick and can run and escape pressure. He's just got a good arm. And so you got to kind of go to the tape on that. So that's the number one fallacy when people are talking about recruits these days is they, they look at that and I'm glad, I mean, I'm flattered because that was my business and still my business for a long time. I'm glad people look at that like it's, you know, the, the, the stone tablets coming down from on high. I mean, I, I'm fine with that. But uh, that needs to be changed with, with our industry. We, we need to change that because it's not accurate anymore. It, it's, it's a relic from the past, you know, and it used to be easy to do, and that's not. Um, and then the number two thing is safety and corner. Um, I, 
I think that, as I said earlier, it can get you beat trying to move safeties to corners. If you're like legitimately a safety, uh, you know, you're probably not going to be a corner. I think Antonio Allen is the only guy that out of high school you looked at and go, you know, hey, he's, he's definitely a safety. Uh, and then in the pros, he got to look at corner. Um, maybe DJ Swearinger, who kind of went back and forth. I'm thinking about Carolina guys. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, too, they're, they're, there's guys that are corners that become safeties and play in the NFL. Um, you know, the, the best – the best possible uh, – uh, I'm sorry, the best example of that, uh, I think it was back in the class of 06, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a player out of Atlanta. Eric – I'll get his name here in a second. Um, anyway, th- this guy oh, – here we go. Class of – I think it's 07. Eric Berry, how did I forget that? Eric Berry, number one corner in the country, number three overall player. When he got to Tennessee, you know, they moved him to safety, and, and that's where he was. Started there from day one. Um, you know, so so I think I think it's kind of, you know, <laughs> it, it's easier to make that transition, in my opinion. Uh, I think what gets you beat is trying to move safeties to corners, and we've seen that at South Carolina – uh, over the course of a long time. I mean, we've, we've seen that a lot. Um, you know, Chris Culliver listed as a corner. I'm looking back at these rankings uh, in 07. Uh, and, of course, at Rivals, where I worked, we had him as a wide receiver, uh, listed as a corner. Obviously, it was a safety that played some corner, could have gone either way. Um, you know, you just kind of look and look up and down. There's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, we're corners that went to safety. Now, what you have to worry about is safety to corner. And, and this is another one of those Gamecock things where, you know, you heard about all the cross training the last couple of years and you're like, you know, searching for an answer as to why the secondary was bad. And it's like, well, uh, you know, maybe that's a reason. I don't think that's a reason. Every school in the country, you know, does that. They cross train guys. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think cross training had anything to do with all that, or I would be surprised if it did, but it's going to be an interesting year in the secondary. Uh, I think, you know, just to see where all these new guys fit in, where they're going to play. Are they you know, Cause like O'Donnell fortune and Dominic Hill last year and Joey Hunter to a certain extent, they kept going back and forth because of this necessity and they finally got on the field or whatever. So even the returning guys, you know, you're, you're going to, they have a lot to sift out or sift through uh, in the spring at corner. All right. That does it for the Inside the Gamecocks podcast today on Friday, February 19th. Thank you for listening. Again, go check out that deal on the Big Spur. Not going to say anything else about it. I appreciate all you guys listening. We'll be back next week, um, maybe with with a little more for you, depending on what happens. Uh, And obviously, if there's some breaking news or something, we'll be right here. Uh, J.C. Sherbert signing off. Have a really good weekend, folks. We'll talk to you soon.